I'm excited to talk about my sponsors today, Gay Lisby's Million Dollar Arbitrage Group. Amazing, amazing group. This is a teacher. This is, uh, Gay was a teacher. She is a teacher still. You need to learn this is the type of uh, environment you want to be in because she's going to help you understand why. And I think that's the hardest part of this business is understanding why. Why is the red one popular when the green one isn't? Well, there's usually a reason. And what Gay does is probably parse that better than anybody, and she'll explain the reasons for those things. I think that's really powerful. Yes, she puts out a list. You're going to get, uh, get use of that list if you get in the group. Now, here's the deal. The group isn't always open, right? So you get on the waiting list, and you can join the waiting list through my link. Um, doesn't cost you anything to, to get on a waiting list. And if you uh, like her service, which I find that most people do, and that's why there's not so many openings, um, you'll be with her for a long time. And so it's AmazingFreedom.com. She's part of Andy Slamet's group. AmazingFreedom.com forward slash momentum. And you're going to get in the waiting list. That's all I can get you on right now. You can use my name and see if that gets you anywhere. But what I like about in that, uh, what I like about what they teach in that group are the things that are going on, you know, the current things. I've seen a lot of stuff going on about stores going out of business. Well, here's where an opportunity is. Here's why you want to do this. Hey, be cautious about this, you know, with Toys R Us coming out. You got to think about this. And that's the learning that you need to do. And gay is better than anybody else I've seen. So um, amazingfreedom.com forward slash momentum will get you to the waiting list. Then hopefully it can get you in the group and then you're going to see me in there and uh, we can chat anytime you're ready. Karen Locker's group, Solutions, the number four e-commerce, solutions4ecommerce.com forward slash momentum. It's going to save you 50 bucks. Karen's our account manager. We recommend her to everyone because she's done so well for us. I mean, that's quite frankly the reason we've been paying her for the last few years, but she's become an important part of our team. Her and her team are so involved in our account. I just see the emails coming back and forth. Hey, we did this for you. I just saw two listings today. And I'm like, wait a second. Why did they show up? I didn't put any listings up. They got, uh, they got uh, set off to the side by Amazon, and they reactivated them for me. You know what I mean? That's the stuff that just happens when you have a strong team, and I can't recommend Karen enough. If you use uh, my code Momentum, Karen pays me. I don't want to hide that. Of course, we all know that, but you're going to save $50, and it's a great opportunity to really, really um, build out your team with somebody you can trust. That's why I recommend them. So solutions for e-commerce, solutions, the number for e-commerce.com forward slash momentum. It's going to save you $50. Oh, and by the way, she's going to do an inventory health report. Why is that important? Well, guess what? Fees are going up. Is your inventory health number declining like ours is? Well, here's why, and here's what they can do. What I like is I get a spreadsheet from them and it says, hey, um, here's a bunch of inventory. Here's what we recommend. And I'm like, yep refund, I mean, uh, delete, uh, return to us, blah, 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 whatever it is, and it's or destroy, and it just happens. That's what I like. The other thing that I have Karen help me with a lot is creating new listings. You know, we do a lot of the research ourselves, we upload our images, and then boom, magically the listing goes live, and I don't have to worry about it. Those are the services that Karen offers. Can't recommend her enough. Solutions for ecommerce.com forward slash momentum. Save 50 bucks. Use my code you save $50 a month every single month, and it's a great service. Plus, you get that free inventory health report. I think it's a really powerful way. So I can't, uh, I'm so excited how many people have been joining her because I see it. And I'm excited because the, the messages I get from people are saying, hey, this is great. I finally feel like I can focus on something else because Karen and her team are watching this for me. And, you know, I highly recommend her.
Next up is Seller Labs and Scope. <laughs> I almost said it wrong. It's, it's amazing. I mean, it really is amazing when you sit back and think about, hey, I want to get this product up and it's similar to this product, and that's, that product does well. Well, therefore, if that product does well, they have the right keywords. They have chosen things correctly. So guess what? You scope, and you can see all that stuff. And that's what the, the most powerful thing in the world is, to copy somebody who's done it right. That's what you want to you wanna take advantage of that, right? I mean, it's, it's fair uh, to see. And so, therefore, you could take and apply it to your listing and immediately get that same benefit. That's what scope does for me sellerlabs.com forward slash momentum. It's going to save you $50 on the service. Oh, by the way, it's free to try. So sign up, try it and say, Oh, this is how it's done. Boom. And then you're going to, the light's going to go on and you're going to be like, man, I can get my products out there. I just can't wait. Can't wait. Sellerlabs.com forward slash momentum. The other day I bought another domain. Yes. I bought another domain. It's almost like, uh, I'm admitting guilt, but it's because I had an idea and it was something that was a pretty good idea. I think it's going to go pretty far. And so what do I do? I go to try godaddy.com forward slash momentum and save 30%. So domains aren't very expensive. You get a few services. It adds up a little bit. And I usually buy three years. I usually buy privacy. By the way, I recommend that too. By that, you know, it's not that much money, but when you can save 30%, it makes it that much sweeter, and it makes it easier uh, when you're buying domains, and especially if you buy a bunch of domains. I am a domain collector, and so I do tend to do that, but that 30% makes it a lot easier. And I use GoDaddy because what I like is I can pop in an address I'm thinking, and it'll say, nope, nope, try this version or try this extension, and then boom, there it is. Hey, you better hurry before it goes away, and they're right, you know, and so try GoDaddy.com forward slash momentum, save 30%. Also, I want to mention about Grasshopper. Who was I just talking to somebody the other day? And they were like, oh, yeah, I use this company called Grasshopper. I'm like, dude, did you buy it through my link and save 30%? Hello? No, they missed that. So save 30%. It's trygrasshopper.com forward slash momentum. No surprise there. But you're going to save 30%. And what the, the real cool part about that is they're using it for their private label business. And it gives them virtually a second phone on their current phone without having to get another number. They can make up a vanity number. They don't have to go and do all the grief and, and sign long contracts. Pretty easy stuff. And so if you're creating a brand that you want to identify, you want to look professional, you want to look like a real company, Grasshopper is a great tool. It's an app you put on your existing phone and boom, you now have a customer service department. You now have a sales department. You now have a manufacturing division. You could forward it to somebody else. You can have it go to different voicemails, different departments, and it's all included. So try grasshopper.com forward slash momentum. Save 30%. Welcome to the e-commerce momentum podcast, where we focus on the people, the products, and the process of e-commerce selling today. Here's your host, Steven Peterson. Welcome back to the e-commerce momentum podcast. This is episode 294, Richard Jalachandra. Uh, Richard is the CEO of 101 Commerce. 101 Commerce is the website, and I'll have that link out there. But Richard is he's got an amazing pedigree. I mean, listen to the episode, you'll hear all the different places he worked. He was the CEO of so many different companies. He has so much experience. And it's so cool when you listen to somebody and you look back and you see it. I can hear the way he talks. He's talking about 
those things in his life that have brought him to where he is, and he has an eye for it. And so guess what? They want to buy 101, hence the name, 101 Commerce, Amazon businesses. That's what they want. Niche sites. And it's funny, you know, we some point in the conversation we get to that there's $19,000 million stores out there selling, and they're looking for 101. So that means they're going to say no 18000 900 times. So you got to understand that. And he was talking about managing expectations. But those high performing, those really well run, that well run business, as he describes it later on in the podcast, really has an opportunity, probably not like much else. They have an opportunity right now. Here's a company with boatloads of cash looking to acquire a lot of companies very quickly. You know, they're in due diligence phase, I think he said six and another six. And they're looking to acquire a dozen businesses. So if this is an opportunity for you to sit back and say, you know what, I've been thinking about that. I wonder if I should kick the tires. I wonder if uh, it's worth me uh, uh, checking it out. And I think it is if you meet some of the requirements and we get into some of the detail. I try to anticipate the questions you have. So I think I got through most of them. But it's at that 101-commerce.com website. Down the bottom is a place you can put in your information and and I get to that. Let's get into the podcast. Really good stuff. All right, welcome back to the E-Commerce Momentum Podcast. Very excited about today's guest because he brings a breadth of experience, probably unmatched for anybody I've interviewed. I mean, he's definitely uh, had a career in e-commerce. I think that's putting it mildly. Uh, Richard Jalachandra. Jalachandra. How did I do, Richard? You did very, very well. Is that Thai? Yes, you got it on the face. Nice, nice. So, Richard, I'm going to read, I'm going to indulge a little bit and read a little bit of your bio because I just think people under, need to understand the complexity of what you've done. Because when we met uh, one of your uh, staff members in Vegas, uh, we were all taken back because all of a sudden investment is coming to Amazon sellers. And we're all like, huh? And then, you know, we're so divorced from that. And so in your world, this is every person you probably meet for coffee. Uh, let's see, you worked for um, ClickBank. You had just a little job as chairman of the ClickBank, general partner of Incline Capital Investments. Are you still with Incline? Yeah, that's kind of my family office uh, investment vehicle. Okay. He was the CEO of Bodybuilding.com. And I went and looked at Bodybuilding.com. It's $420 million now. How many employees would that have had? Uh, I had 800 employees when I started. Now... I mean, think about that, though. Just that statement. $420 million with 800 employees. You couldn't have done that back in the day. Anyway, all right. And so we have iSocket, MapMyFitness, Technorati. Um, but he had a voice. He did voiceovers. I'm interested in that. I love that. Photographer, copywriter, car salesman. Uh, these are the glamorous positions now I'm describing. Uh, some uh, travel writer. You know what, though? Uh, did those define you later on? I mean, do you... Could you, could you could lose that? Uh, I think, you know, look, everything kind of, everything defines you. And, and I had a little bit of career ADD probably for the first uh, 20 years of it or so, or not quite 20 years, but definitely a little bit of career ADD. So selling mainframes for IBM, selling cars for Ford Motor Company. Uh, yeah, no, all those things kind of formed me and, and, um, and, and taught me a lot about business and, and a few things about what I didn't want in a career. And, and that kind of led to, you know, what I, I ended up doing for the last, uh, most of the last 20 years. Would you, would you look back at all the different things you do and say that today, Steve, I'm doing what I love or to be honest, when I was a travel writer or if I was a voiceover person or cause you were doing commercials and stuff, what was, what was it? that gave you 
the the best feeling? Um, well, I mean, a little bit of all of it. Oh, cool. I mean, I don't I don't regret any of those stops along the way. I've enjoyed all of them, uh, but I love what I do now. Okay. Uh, and I love the the point of uh, kind of being an old gray haired guy uh, with a little bit of wisdom. Uh, uh, and, uh, probably realizing every day with that little bit of wisdom that I knew less and less as, as I get older and older. <laughs> well, it's true though. You really do know less and less in this new world, right? I mean, you're, you're a little bit older than me. So that means you probably got computers in your high school, senior year, maybe, maybe you were more progressive than me, but they didn't no, put them into we, my senior year. We had punch cards. <laughs> See, so, so think about your staff, right? I mean, and you've had hundreds of staff in all these different companies, they know nothing but that computer, that learning curve that you and I have is so, it's so big and they just adapt to it so quickly. Isn't that cool? Yeah, no, it is. And, and it's funny. Now you're making me think not only of, of punch cards, but my, my father also bought a, a TRS 80. Oh, cool. Uh, Radio Shack uh, TRS 80, also known as the trash 80. I used to do, and I'm an accountant by trade. I used to, the biggest, coolest thing I did was I took our aging and I used a TRS-80 to move, to age the buckets, right? So to take it from 60 to 90 days, like everybody was watching me as I copied it over and everybody was like, Ooh, I mean, that was like cutting edge back in the day. Wow. Yeah. We're old too. I know. I'm sorry. Hey, you got better hair than me. So, so let's go back. Um, so you, uh, were, went to school. What was your major when you went to school? Business. So business. So uh, business, you were going to do what? Run a business? Work in a business? Did you have a plan? Oh, I, I, I mean, I, 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 uh, I think my parents were from, they weren't Depression era, but they were just, you know, post-Depression era. So, you know, they really, um, that whole generation was really, you know, the kind of the rise of corporate America. Um, so I, I grew up always thinking that, yeah, get a job somewhere, uh, tuck in for 30 years, get a pension, uh, and all that. Um, and that's kind of what I grew up thinking. Um, and that's kind of the path I started, you know, getting one business degree and then an MBA, um, you know, working for IBM and Ford Motor Company. That's kind of the path I was on and, and then kind of just realized the, um, you know, about five years into that, that that wasn't the thing that uh, I was put on this earth to do. But that's pretty cool that you found it at five years in. Most most guys our age don't realize it till 20 or 25 when their company closes and they're like, oh, crap, what do I do? I've never found myself, right? I mean, that happens a lot. Well, the funny story, you know, the, the, the light bulb moment that said, get out, <laughs> uh, uh, was, you know, it was a couple years into my career at Ford, but we were um, came in one morning and we were celebrating um, a guy's 40th anniversary with the company. Wow! And you know we had cake and coffee and whatever, and you know it, it was a you know obviously a huge milestone for him. But as he described and looked back and was sharing memories and reminiscences about those 40 years at Ford. Uh, I was just like going, Hey, that's really awesome for you. But man, that would make me want to like, you know, blow up my head. Yeah. Can you imagine uh, going in every day, same desk for 40 years? Ooh. Yeah. And essentially he'd done, uh, you know, a lot of the same thing. Now, granted that, that generation probably didn't have the kind of opportunities and mobility that we do. So I don't like to, to judge. Right. And, 
and that is absolutely you know the the perfect thing for some people but as somebody with uh you know a little bit of not just career ADD, but real ADD. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it just uh, it wasn't kind of the world of adventure that I wanted to live. You know, when I looked at your background and I saw that you were, I mean, you're kind of a fix-it guy, it appears. Um, is this normal? Because I don't, I'm not really in touch with the investment world in the uh, startup world. But it appears to me, as I look through it, that, and, and don't get offended by this, but it seems to me that people just come and go in these companies. You go in, you take it so far, next guy goes in, takes it so far, you move over to this one, you move over to this one, you move over to this one. Is that is that kind of the world? Or that's was happened. it the world? That's That happened in my career a little bit, for sure. Um, I, I, I One of my most formative jobs you know, happened to be a turnaround, but it was an incredibly successful turnaround. So from there on out, um, I started getting calls to like not necessarily even turn things around. Sometimes it was just a reboot, um, um, you know, or just a you know a shot of adrenaline or whatever. But yeah, it's typically you know I would come in and um, you know uh, uh, work on something, get it to another level of critical mass or potential exit, uh, and then you know post exit would would move on. Would you lose interest? Or was it the thrill of the next thing that drove well, you? When you get acquired and you're the CEO, uh, they usually cut your head off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not going to cut it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, they're going to do better. They got to pay for it. There's certain acquisitions where you want, you know, the exec team to, to stay on. But a lot of what we sold were bolt-ins, um, so uh, it, it, it made sense for me to move on. Hmm. Well, that leads me to a question. I guess I'm going to jump ahead because 101. Uh, so tell me exactly the name of the company. It's 101 Commerce Brands or just Commerce? 101 Commerce. Uh, the, the official name of the company is 101 Commerce. 101 Commerce. And yes. your goal is to, to buy how many companies? Uh, we are in the process of buying 101 Amazon FBA businesses. Not, not 99, not 102, 101. I thought 101 was a little catchier. Yeah, it definitely is. And so say when so. I was out to lunch with Chris, he had mentioned at that point you had uh, you've been in talks or in due diligence with about seven at that point. Is that still about where you're at? Oh, we're, we're way more than that at this point. Are uh, you kidding me? But our goal, like in our first what I would call our first tranche of deals we will probably acquire eight to twelve depending on the size. It's a little bit of a uh, a mix and mash of kind of what the overall budget and run rate objectives are. But yeah, it'll probably be between eight and 12 by the time we close the first trench. Okay. And so everybody's saying, wait a second, this is a company that's buying Amazon business. What? Whoa, hold on. And they're all like, wait, will they buy mine? So what I was thinking about as I was doing the research and I thought, you know, what would somebody want to know? I think we make it as easy as we can. Is there an ideal buy? I like the way you described it, your first trench. So this is the first round you're looking at. Is, there, is that first trench a certain size of company that you're looking to acquire or a certain number of SKUs or length of time in business or things like that? Um, well, it's, it's, you know, it's give or take. Okay. Uh, um, you know, we're looking for a certain revenue threshold and a certain earnings threshold. Can we uh, say those or no? Um, let's just say the initial goal would be to buy um, – 
you know, $101 million businesses. Okay. Okay. So as, so as small as a, if $101 million business means you're going to buy some half a million dollars and some $10 million businesses. So if that's the average, so, okay. All right. So that would be, that would be a good way to characterize right. it. Right. And so lots of people listening would be in that mix. Um, yeah. They're not all going to be a million dollars and, and, uh, There'll be a handful that are that are kind of lower to middle, uh, single digit millions, and we'll have a whole number of things that we like that are in the you know half a million to a million dollar range. Because of the growth projection and the market penetration and all those things, that that's that's obviously the due diligence, right? I mean, that's where the that's the secret sauce. Yeah. So what I find is if somebody who's built a million dollar FBA business. They clearly have figured something out. <laughs> I mean, there's three million seller accounts on on Amazon, and if you're at uh, at a million dollars, uh, I think there's about nineteen thousand dollars, nineteen thousand million dollar sellers. So you've clearly figured something out. Um, you've got a good private label brand. Um, you you figured out how to get both organic rankings as well as the inorganic skill of advertising and marketing. Um, but the other thing that we find is very true, particularly in the half million to million dollar range, is even in spite of that success, um, when I ask those sellers, what are your biggest challenges? I say, list me your three biggest challenges. Uh, you get back, number one, working capital. Mm. Number two, working capital. Number three, <laughs> working capital. Um, and that's something where we feel that that's you know, uh, a pain point that we can solve very easily either by you know, wholly acquiring or in some cases we'll potentially invest and become partners with some of these people if they feel like getting rich twice. Um, and what I mean by getting rich twice is, yeah, they want to get rich on, on selling a, a, you know, a good part of their business today, but they still maybe feel like they've got you know, a runway to grow and want to keep on that journey, you know, we're, we're open to those kinds of partnerships as well. Um, and let's put people who are going to have perspective. So multiples in this industry, two to three times uh, gross profit, is that still about normal? It really depends on the size of the business, but in the, in the uh, um, kind of range that I just mentioned, yeah, it's probably that. Uh, obviously, Businesses that are doing five million or ten million, they've achieved some other kinds of scale and growth and and uh, bulletproofness or whatever that would earn them a higher multiple. So, yeah, you see FBA businesses trading, you know, anywhere from you know two at the the low end, you know, probably up to seven or eight if if they're a you know eight figure business. I mean, a high eight figure business, and and there are a number of you know, nine figure businesses. And I have, though, I don't know what the multiples on those are. I mean, does that blow your mind when you sit back and think about, you know, your dad creating a company, you know, a million dollar business, what would that have taken right now? I mean, you could see some of these businesses start in three or four months, hit those numbers very, very quickly. Yeah, you're right. I mean, um, you know, I should, I should tell you the story of how I kind of stumbled onto FBA. Um, I, I was uh, um, trying to, let's say, I, I, I was trying to be semi-retired. <laughs> I'd reached kind of a point where I was a little bit burned out. I can relate. Yeah, and I, I, I probably wasn't done done, but I was at this point where it's like, let's, you know, we can afford it. Let's take two years off and, and really see if we can kind of figure out some things to dabble in and all that. And, and I kind of made this deal with my wife and 
and that I was going to take two years off and maybe do some board work, buy some startups, maybe invest in some things. We set aside a little bit of money where I was like, you know what, I'm going to buy one of these interesting, you know, little solopreneur businesses and and see if I could run one and all that, you know, because one of the ironies or contradictions of, of being a successful executive in uh, venture back and private equity back companies is you work like crazy, but you actually don't really do any work. Yeah, you never get your hands dirty. <laughs> right, no, you I mean, never. Get, yeah, you don't get your hands dirty. And it's not like you're not putting in hours, but you actually don't do any of the, the knob twisting and lever pushing and all that. And so I thought it'd be really fun to kind of buy um, you know, a solopreneur business, uh, you know, that had the, the characteristics of the four hour work week, you know, um, they don't exist, and, but go ahead. And yeah, no, I know, but there, but there are plenty of FBA businesses that can be run, you know, in, in less than 10 hours a week, uh, if they're mature and, and at, a, at a certain scale. So I was interested in, in a number of online businesses, but I really came across FBA and, and, uh, was just enamored by, um, how not just like, um, you know, the size, uh, and, and the, uh, the velocity of some of these businesses, but just how many of them there were, I was dumbfounded by how big the FBA ecosystem is. And so I, I, I was looking around shopping for myself and, and finally, uh, I asked myself because I saw I saw a lot of good ones. It wasn't like there was a couple. I saw a lot of good ones, and I was like, "How come nobody's bought a hundred of these?" Right. And that's how that's how that you know ultimately led to um, me forming a, an investment thesis around buying 101 brands and consolidating them, and and uh, you know seeing if we could have some efficiencies at that kind of scale, uh, you know, that would create. You know, a nine-figure e-commerce business that, that that was growing and profitable. You know, it gives me a million questions further. That does because I sit back and I think, all right. So, what you're describing is it more of a REIT type of? You know, I'm trying to think of something that's similar. Is it like a REIT where you go out and raise all this money and you go and buy uh, a real estate? Or not, I don't think it's like syndication, right? But it's like it's like a real estate investment trust where you have all these properties put together and you go out and get this funding and then. There's a management fee. I mean, how does that all work? What's it most like? Maybe that's the right way to ask. Well, I mean, we're not we're not really creating a fund. We're creating an operating company. So, yeah. uh, and that said, there are plenty of people doing what you just described, and it is a very attractive business model, where you go out and get some mature digital assets that they're throwing off, you know, some cash, and you aggregate them, and all of a sudden you've got a really nice cash flow business. Um, that's not our intent here. Our intent is to, uh, you know, buy 101 brands and actually grow the crap out of them. Uh, Are you going to bring them in, you know, because I was thinking about like that $10 million property. They, I'm sure they use FBA, but at that point they probably, you know, do a lot of work themselves. Is that where the efficiency of scale comes in, where you would move those functions to, uh, from Carlisle, Pennsylvania to blah, 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 wherever that is, and bring those brands in that way? Is that what happens? Or... Or do you just take that completely out and bring it right from China and stuff like that? Well, I th first does off, it depend? <laughs> I'd step back and, and think about the beauty of FBA. So one of the things I always say about FBA is, you know, Amazon's got this other other service in the software side or the software ecosystem called AWS, Amazon Web Services. 
And it's amazing that how that has changed, you know, the, the way people form and build software um, startups and things like that. I mean, even a company the size of Netflix is using AWS to, you know, basically run its uh, um, data and software infrastructure. So when I look at FBA, FBA is essentially AWS for retail. Okay. And what it allows you to do is outsource everything that's hard about e-commerce, starting with traffic. I mean, Amazon's got 200 million shoppers, not, not users or customers, shoppers. Um, so you have 200 million like converting shoppers out there. So you don't have to worry about traffic. Uh, if you're FBA and you've got a private label brand, you get a nice prime logo stamped on your forehead, uh, which basically implies fantastic customer experience for uh, you know, customers. Zero to two day shipping. Uh, everybody trusts the Prime logo now. Um, so it's almost like your brand is being co-branded with Amazon. And so that's beautiful. You also have you know, much of the customer service uh, that you, you need, or at least the, the minimum viable customer service built into the platform. You also have a bolted on advertising platform. Dirty little secret, Amazon's one of the fifth largest uh, digital media companies in the world because they have such a robust advertising platform. So that allows you to like uh, do incredible things with, with very few employees uh, when you outsource all those things. And then, of course, we forgot to say the fulfillment. That's really hard you yeah. know, to do. So you've outsourced. Think about everything you've outsourced. Really, all you need to do is come to the party with uh, a great product, a great brand, and some good marketing skills and, and just take care of your customers. You know, I sit back and I look at your career with bodybuilding.com. So, you know, being uh, in charge of that, you said you had 800 employees, right? I don't know how many fulfillment centers because you had one not far from me here. Were those were pain points for you, right? And then I look at ClickBank when you were at ClickBank, and I'm like bringing traffic there because it was it uh, Amazon's a 700-pound gorilla. Then it or Google, Amazon, ClickBank, bringing traffic is another pain point, and so. This was like a perfect storm for you, wasn't it? I mean, your whole career has brought you to this place. You've seen the pain points. You've lived those pain points. And was it like an epiphany, like a light bulb going on for you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there was a, it was more like a spotlight in my eyes that blinded me. <laughs> and we take it for granted. I mean, it's true. I mean, you know, it's hilarious. Any, all of my listeners are going to be like laughing to themselves like, wait, we're that good? I mean, literally, there's going to be a whole bunch of people saying, man, sometimes I don't feel like it. You know, I've got a million dollar business and I have no money in my wallet uh, because of cash flow right, being the biggest issue. Um, but it takes a lot to do that. Well, and this, this leads to another issue, too. And I, again, I'll tell you my own personal journey of getting into this was, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I'm a 25 year digital vet. I got into the Internet in January 19. I know e-commerce and I know advertising and yada, yada, yada. So my goal, when I, when I first got serious about FBA, I was like going, you know what? I am going to buy an FBA business and I'm going to take it full multi-channel. Uh, it's I, easy. I can, I can do that. I have the expertise. I have the experience. Mm -hmm. And the more I studied it, I was like, why would you ever do that? <laughs> um, because the operating leverage of, of uh, FBA, you know, I have met you know, sole proprietors running eight figure businesses. And you could not do that if you were multi-channel. Um, there's not a chance in heck you could do that if you were multi-channel. And, and so, why is that? Why is that specifically? 
Well, if you're uh, if you're multi-channel, that means you're running a website. Okay, so you have to have some technical chops or or spend some money on some contractors to run a website. If it has traffic, then it's got all kinds of scaling issues. So there's some other technology that that's involved in that. Uh, you have to market to get people to that site, uh, which requires marketing skills and social media skills and a bunch of different things that, you know, around traffic acquisition that are usually very specialized. Um, then you have the fulfillment piece. Um, and also imagine if you're selling full multi-channel and you're on Walmart, eBay, and all that. It takes time to manage all those. It does, and they don't. Uh, like Walmart's a good example. There's no customer service program right now, so you're on your own. And it's like I've had a whole bunch of friends like somebody called me on my cell phone because when they set up their Walmart, they put their cell phone number. It just asked for a number. They didn't think anybody would ever call. Well, Walmart gives it out, and they're like, I don't want people calling me. You know, what do I do? You know, they didn't plan for that. And so, so you sit back and you think about that. So you're saying, hey, the outliers for the companies that we're looking to buy, they're really successful because they've given it all to FBA? I mean, is that really, when you look at it, does that weigh upon your decision more than anything? Well, and let me be clear. You know, I am a huge fan of leaning 100% into FBA. That said, there are brands um, that can and should exist in a multi-channel environment. But I would say the vast majority of things on FBA could easily just be 100% FBA, and the ROI associated with taking them multi-channel probably isn't worth it. It isn't worth it. Yeah, I was sitting there thinking about bodybuilding.com because that's a you know destination site. I wonder now that you're not affiliated with them anymore, but I wonder what percentage of their business has been you know, taken, shared, stolen, whatever you want to call it, over to FBA because I, I know so many people in the supplement business. Um, and you know, is because it's such, like you said, a trusted site, you know, um, is the effort worth it? You know, I don't know if uh, bodybuilding allows third-party sellers on there, but, but it just, you wonder those things. I mean, is it, is it, they're so dominant, um, is it really just not worth the effort elsewhere? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. All right. I like that. Uh, I think you did a great job explaining what it is. So you want to operate these companies. Now, let me ask you this because I was in the newspaper business and I shut down printing plants. That's what I did. Right? I am an accountant, so they would bring me in to fix things. I was a fixer. And so does that mean that if I sell you my business and I have my wife and my son and we're working in the warehouse together and my neighbor down the street, when I sell you my assets, are you buying real estate or are you trying to only buy product and name and brand? Yeah, so most of what we're focusing on is is super highly concentrated in FBA. Okay. Um, of the first, uh, we are in contract with about a half dozen right now. Uh, and as I said, we'll probably do another half dozen before we close the first tranche. And virtually all of them are either 100% or over 90 95% FBA. Um, and, um, you know, so, so again, we're looking for that operating leverage okay. that can allow an absurdly high level of profitability. Again, this is the other thing when you go full multi-channel and it's different if you just, you know, you're one person and you're running a Shopify site, but if you have any success at all, all of a sudden you're going to end up with 10 employees before you know it. Right. Um, so, uh, and again, it, it does make sense for certain brands, but yeah, our, our goal is to literally go after, 
um, you know, businesses that have uh, really focused on FBA, uh, done really well at it, and, um, you know, have had some of the working capital challenges that have probably held back their growth, you know, SKU expansion, international expansion, things like that, where we believe that we can add a lot of value. I think that's one thing I, I, I alluded to earlier, and I want to make really clear is that, um, you know, we can solve those problems and, and we fully expect, you know, um, in acquiring these businesses that we will be able to grow them significantly after. Will you acquire talent if you find it? Because as you said, I mean, these are outliers. The fact that they could create a million dollar business from nothing or 10 million or 20 million, there's a skill set. Because as I I think about, like, I'm thinking, okay, you know, this is Steve's accountant mind saying, all right, where are you going to save? Well, you're going to save in shipping. You're going to save in sourcing. You're going to save in manufacturing. You're going to save because you got to save to pay for all this, right? So you got to figure that all that out. Those are the efficiency you gain. But you will meet that talent, right? You've seen it your whole career, that outlier, that somebody who's just, wow, they're better than good, right? Does, is that sometimes part of the acquisition? Could it be? Well, look, you, in the FBA space, you meet everybody under the sun that comes from very different backgrounds and have very different uh, life objectives and things like that. Of course, we would love to meet people who not only want to sell their business, but stay on board. Oh, cool. But there's, there's plenty of people who, you know, don't want to do that. Right. They, you know, I, I mean, I literally was just talking to one yesterday where, um, you know, he had a successful career and his wife and, and family, they wanted to do other things and he never thought that it would get this big. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so that person wants to go back to what their life was, but with a little cash in their pocket. That's pretty awesome Um, though. Thinking about that, that's really a pretty cool place to be kind of, you know, stepping back, but like you say, a little fatter in the wallet. Um, and then you could, you could wash, rinse, repeat if, especially if they have proven, I mean, more than likely they could do that again. That's probably what you'll start to see. Don't you think as the business matures more, these FBA businesses? You know, I've heard every story, so I don't think those people will go back into it, uh, at least not immediately. But then uh, I've met others that we're talking to that, you know, the minute they close, they're going to use the cash to start a new brand. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, they've signed a, you know, a, a non-compete not to do exactly what they were doing before. Um, but hey, more power to them. Those are real entrepreneurs. And, and the other thing about the entrepreneurial spectrum is you have people who are really good at starting things, and you also have other people who are really good at finishing them. Yeah. Uh, and you know, so some of that has to do with personality. Like I'm personally am not a big company guy. I mean, I already defined that at the uh, earliest part of the podcast, where I just didn't think I was, you know, going to be a, a, a good employee in a hundred thousand employee company. Uh, so everybody does have some somewhere on that spectrum where their sweet spot is. And, and there's certainly a lot of people in the FBA ecosystem that are really good at, at, at uh, getting them to a certain level. Uh, that said, just to repeat it, um, you know, there's going to be cases where we have an entrepreneur who wants to, to you know, jump in the boat with us and, and row hard. Um, and, uh, and there's going to be plenty of others that for a variety of reasons decide, you know, to part ways and, and say good luck with it, guys. Yeah, Margarita's on the beach sounds pretty good, right? So you said niche sites, 101 niche sites. Are there niches that you're staying away from that are just taboo for you? Um, 
You know, I don't know if there's anything that, that we won't look at. Okay. Um, but there there's definitely things that we like uh, that have certain characteristics. Um, but, but a lot of the characteristics that we're looking for are, are financial and then performance, you know, like KPI type in indicators. Um, so I think we're, we're fairly product agnostic, but obviously there's certain product categories that, that um, fit some of the KPIs better than, than others. Well, it, it, and I guess that makes sense, right? If you had a, let's say you were doing uh, supplements and you come across a supplement company, that might be a good, and their brand might not be so strong, yet their products are great or whatever. Can you take in and scale that, right? Would you think that you'll start to see some brands merge um, under your tutelage, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think you could see some things merge or work on synergies off of each other as well. Okay. That's cool. um, I think if we buy 101 brands, uh, you know, we're going to have some some cross relational customers. Um, you know, that uh, you know, for example, that person who bought you know protein powder from you may be also buying you know uh, light bulbs from you. Hmm. When uh, I was thinking about. You know, and I guess it's since these are FBA businesses, you don't really get the customer data. But is there value in like uh, like a customer, uh, like a company like Bodybuilding, right, where they were doing their own fulfillment? Is there value in a company, a uh, couple things. One, that's been around for a long time because they have uh, cash flow, daily payouts or something like that. Does that enhance in any way? And if so, it's probably minor, but still it's something. And then if they come with a asset of a customer list, um, and, and, uh, uh, loving customers. Does that help too? Of course, of course. I'm, I, you know, I, uh, any, any, uh, uh, any additional customer information you have is always, you know, uh, a benefit and, uh, an asset that said, I think one of the deals you make with Amazon, um, and you, you have to just know this going in is that you are not going to have every bit of customer information. It's just not not the, the the handshake deal you're doing with Amazon when they take all the hard things about e-commerce off your plate. You're giving up something and 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 whatnot. Now that said, there's plenty of podcasts and 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 many communities that teach people how to um, build an, an indirect customer relationship, um, you know, with their Amazon customers. And you know, I think that's that's actually a really good thing to do. Uh, it's got to be very white hat. I think that's something that Amazon, I think, is will crack down on a lot. It, it already has cracked down, but I think they'll continue to crack down um, because, again, they 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 want the ultimate customer to have a great Amazon experience and whatnot. And you know, if you're buying from 100 sellers, you don't want 100 uh, you know random emails coming in from from various FBA sellers. So. I kind of get what Amazon's trying to do with that. That said, there's other ways to provide good service that fit within Amazon's terms of service, and, and I think that's a, a really good path and just a, a good business uh, practice for everybody. But the, the two things that I have that I want to understand is what the, um, the due diligence process is. But, but first, because I think that brings up a good example, are there some no-goes? You know, are there things that are just red flags that are – you know, there's a line that you're not going to cross um, that just exclude. If this happened, boom, you're out. If this happened, is, are there any hard, fast rules? Um, yeah, uh, really obvious and repeated um, um, 
violations of terms of service. And, you know, we've seen that in, in a couple that we've looked at. And you're uh, looking in a due diligence process because part of it is you get access to their Amazon history. You have to. Well, that's that's after you sign a letter of intent. But oh, okay. even, even before that, uh, you can imagine we've had a number of, uh, even though we really haven't promoted the website, people have found it and uh, have come to us. And uh, at the same time, we have uh, we work with a number of the best brokers in, in the industry. Um, so we, we, we've seen a lot out there. And, uh, you, you know, you're, you're always kind of looking for what you're going to fall in love with. And it's kind of like dating. And, and you know, if you, if you thought of, uh, you know, all the uh, members of the opposite sex that, uh, that you've met in your life and the fact that, you know, you may have had a couple of girlfriends and, and a wife, <laughs> that just tells you what the odds are. Um, so it, it, it is kind of a process of elimination. You, you do have to, you know, get smitten with somebody. And then like anything, whether you're meeting friends or, or for dating or whatever, there's just some things that are going to turn you off. And a violation in terms of service is something where I think there's a high risk of, uh, you know, having uh, an account paused or, or uh, um, terminated. Okay. All right. So let's talk through... Uh, if, well, let me just make sure I don't, I don't want to leave that hanging. So what you said was somebody who's extremely violating those terms of service. Now, if they've come clean and fixed it and moved forward, that doesn't completely exclude them, right? That brings the, that goes right to the conversation. He has to be deeper, but, but it doesn't completely get him out of the picture, correct? Uh, not, yeah, you're right. Okay. Not necessarily. Okay. So, so again, you know, remember Amazon's, you know, move the goalpost. Yeah, right. And, and that's and fair. You to do so. Yeah, we've been FBA since 2011. The rules that we had back then, there, I mean, there's so many new rules that, you know, we still have inventory from that. I mean, so it's, you know, it's now a violation. Well, it wasn't when I put it in there, you know, and so anyway, okay. All right, well, let's... it's the same thing, you know, if you think about Google and the publisher ecosystem 10 years before, it's very similar. The, the rules will always change. And I think that's one thing of running any kind of business, but particularly an FBA business, is you should expect continuous change. Well, I think I think the fact that you have some experience in the e-commerce world and you realize it isn't easy. All these little things are complicated. And sometimes there's reasons why this was done that way, because at the time this didn't happen, we haven't adjusted. So that makes sense. All right, let's talk due diligence. How long is that process have you found for the several companies you're working uh, on acquiring? Well, typical, most of our deals are, are structured to have 30 to 60 days of diligence. Um, I think you can do it faster than that. Um, a lot of the, the delay and, and the things that take time uh, have nothing to do with the actual diligence itself. So it's just the, the rest of the logistics around getting a deal done and schedules and lawyers with contracts and things like that. So the actual diligence itself probably uh, you know, really depends on the seller, um, um, but it can take you know uh, a week to six weeks. Uh, it, it really just depends, and there may be other data that you're looking for that you want to see over time and, and things like that, or being evaluate, evaluating some of the processes. But uh, yeah, it can it can take some time. Um, it also can be done very quickly. Uh, we haven't done this, but I, I do know of uh, uh, 
uh, you know, broker, one of the broker friends that we have was noting that they, they got a deal done and in, with an SBA loan, no less, in two weeks. Whoa. Uh, so that's, so it's, anything's possible. <laughs> wow. Um, and I think, look, I mean, if you're really motivated and you have the time, you don't have any kind of logistical um, challenges or, or you're not juggling a whole bunch of other balls, you could probably get diligence done fairly quick. But there's probably the actual diligence itself is, uh, um, like I said, only part of the, the equation. There's the negotiation. There's negotiating a contract that everybody's going to be comfortable with and make sure all the terms you know, are mutually beneficial and things like that. That does take time. Now, are you acquire? I mean, is there a legal structure that uh, you're looking for um, from companies? Um, are you acquiring assets? Are you, I mean, how does that, I guess it's all the above, but I mean, generally. Yeah, I would say it's all of the above. Uh, I mean, ideally, we're interested in, in buying, you know, the brand and the account. Um, in some cases, you know, we're, well, obviously, any IP associated with that. Um, there will be exceptions where we decide to buy the entire legal entity. Okay. Um, so it's all over the place, but I'd say the preference is towards asset purchase agreements versus stock purchase agreements. Okay. All right. That makes sense. I think I, I, that was one that was out there. Okay. So I think we've answered most of the question. I'm sitting there thinking about what, what somebody is going to be thinking about. There are no kind of uh, taboo uh, items to sell. They can be complementary. They don't have to be, correct? They don't have to be supplement companies only, right? They can be silicone spatulas, barbecue gloves. Everybody's got those, right? It can be different things like that. Are you looking for, um, are you looking for efficiencies? Is that where you save your money? Is in the manufacturing process and in the you know the shipping and the and the service side over in China or wherever that there be a manufacturer? Is that where? You really get your efficiencies. Well, I think if you I think if you acquire you know 101 brands, um, you're you're absolutely going to have some concentrations of things that are related. Um, and I, I absolutely believe that we will find um, synergies within with with brands and groups and things. So you know, for example, you could have an automotive group. You could have a home and kitchen group. You could have uh, you know a, a vitamins and supplements group and things like that they'd still be independent brands but you you might have to have some synergies uh either in manufacturing you know or consolidating suppliers and things like that i think there's probably also a lot of optimization to be done on supply chain uh, around just the shipping logistics um so imagine you have hundreds of sellers that use manufacturers in China. Well, imagine you consolidated all those shipments into a more, you know, uh, uh, streamlined way. Uh, you know, I, I absolutely believe you're going to be able to save some money there. And so us, you're talking about having a having a location over in China or somewhere in that Middle East, where not Middle East, Far East, where you can you can take advantage of that, right? That makes perfect sense. I think that would be likely. Um, yeah. Again, we're still, you know, we're, we're building the airplane as we go down the. Uh, <laughs> the, the runway. Um, so, uh, but I, but yeah, I would say that that uh, uh, certainly is contemplated as having you know both supply uh, experts, sourcing experts, as well as shipping experts that could help with some of those things. Okay, and have uh, and I don't know that you answered this, uh, but I'll put you on the spot. Have you closed any deals? Completely? No, we are okay. we are uh, in uh, letter of intent. Uh, 
with a number, which basically means that we have signed a no-shop um, uh, commitment uh, with the seller for us to conduct our diligence. And I think this is important for people out there who've never been through this before, um, to, to know that when we look at something, we actually are investing quite a bit of money just to look, uh, not just our, our own internal staff, but we have um, external legal, external financial and accounting, um, in some cases, uh, a subject matter or domain expert um, that look at these deals. So they are being paid, it's money out the door. And this is why you ask for a little bit of exclusivity to complete your diligence, um, you know, uh, to, um, you know, check all the boxes, so to speak. Yeah, that's reasonable. I mean, it just seems perfectly reasonable, I mean, especially, you know, if, if you're, if you're thinking about selling to a company, you want to have some level of trust. So there has to be some of that. So I get that. Okay. So, uh, one final thing, and then, um, I'm going to ask you, uh, so if somebody wants to get in touch with you, not you, the company, so it's 101-commerce.com. I knew there was something there different. So it's 101-commerce.com and I'll have links to it on this episode. Yes. Um, and in there, you can fill out a question. There's no, and they'll keep it quiet. It says, you know, strictest of confidence. So it's got your name, your email address, your phone number, your Amazon sales the last 12 months, uh, net profit, uh, how old is your business, and what categories you sell, and reviews. And so those are kind of the metrics that immediately say, ooh, this is worth looking at. This might not be. Um, does everybody get a reply? Yeah, you'll, you'll absolutely get some sort of reply. Okay. Um, and I mean, look, the reality is, and I, want, I, I always love managing people's expectations um, with respect to um, either buying or selling a company. M&A is hard. <laughs> it's, it's very hard. It's, it's uh, harder than just you know, doing a, a little business deal. And there's a lot more at stake. So um, you know, the number of people you have to talk to, to actually get a deal is it, 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 it's, if you've never been through it before, you need to have the right level of expectations, but yes, we will get back to everybody. Um, the reality is that, um, you know, we're going to have more interest in, you know, um, us taking a look than we'll have capability to buy. So I always want to manage everybody's expectations on that. And so your then, eyes are bigger than your appetite. <laughs> well, it's not just—it's not just that. I think there's going to be more people wanting to come to us than we have the ability to buy. I mean, as I said, there's—I uh, uh, I saw this estimate somewhere: nineteen thousand plus million dollar sellers. Um, You're looking you, for a hundred and one. And we're looking for a hundred, so you can do the math. <laughs> yeah. Um, and. Uh, um, and then there's also the case too, where there's going to be businesses that are smaller, not necessarily kind of hitting, you know, the minimum thresholds we're looking for, but they may be on their way and they may not be far. And, and those, in those cases, what we want to do is establish a relationship where, uh, you know, uh, it may not be now, but maybe we should talk in six months or 12 months. Are you offering guidance to those people saying, hey, Steve, you know, you're not right for us now because you're doing this. But if you can get these are the things that we see, if you can get these things in line and these metrics or these KPIs, as you said, if you can get these in line, we can have another conversation. Yes, we're, we're going to awesome. do our best to, to communicate. Um, and, 
Um, but you know, it, it'll be hard with the, the amount of volume that we're seeing to, to have a really detailed personal conversation. But there will be many cases where you know we say we love your category, we love your growth. Um, paying us in six months. But this it, it, this isn't a one and done, is it? Really? I mean, at this point, you know, I can see you. I mean, how, how much money do you have access to right now? Um, a lot of zeros. I, I'm not at liberty to say. All right, By a lot first, of zeros. More I than do the whole Tom Cruise thing and yeah. all that. More than two or three zeros. So lots of money. And so this is probably not a one and done. This is kind of a build it out, build that, as you say, uh, several billion dollar company, and then maybe wash, rinse, repeat. I mean, and if not you, someone else, right? I mean, this is going to catch on. If it, if it works, everybody's going to be like, ooh, new thing, let's go. And people will gravitate towards success. I, I think if we're successful, and, and there probably are others out there trying to do this at different scales than what we're doing. In fact, I know that there are others out there trying to do this at, at smaller scales, but it, you know, somebody also tried to do it at the scale we are for sure. I think this is really good for the whole ecosystem. Um, I think it creates a lot of uh, excitement and, and frankly, probably promotes a lot of better behavior uh, because again, the only things that get acquired are, are things that are, that are really well-built, you know, customer-centric businesses and strong brands. Oh, I like that, well-built have a well-built co-host. I mean, you just wrote my title, dude. That was good. See, it's that voice. Okay, so uh, I think we've run the gamut. I think we've covered everything. So I have the contact information. Why don't you lead a, leave us with something final, what you think that the, the seller who's thinking about selling their business, what they should be doing, looking forward to, or if they have one that's potential, what they can do to really enhance their chances at, at getting acquired by someone, not you. I don't want you to commit to anything, of course. Yeah. So, I mean, I would start with a, a handful of business cliches. <laughs> um, and that's that uh, ultimately, you know, be thinking about your ultimate customer because the best things that we've seen really do solve a problem. Um, and, you know, for example, one of the things that we just um, got into contract with, um, you know, it was literally a, 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 a guy solving his own problem. He had a, a I'm not going to say what the problem was. I don't want to give it away or whatever, but he had a, a, a significant um, problem and, and he wanted it addressed and he went out and found industrial designers and somebody from you know, the health care space and, and created something that is really solved the problem. Um, so I, I, again, I would start with that cliche, you know, there's a lot of people in FBA literally who are just there for the gold mine. Mm -hmm. And yes, we all, all want to make money and all that. But I mean, the, the really cool businesses we've seen, um, not only make the money, but they, they really solve a problem that we think have legs that we can grow, continue to grow. If it's just a money grab, there's plenty of ways to, to, to grab money there. Um, and I just don't know how scalable those are. So that would be the first thing. The second thing is um, if, if and when you decide to start thinking about it, start thinking about what your business is going to look like to a stranger. And what do you think would be impressive to a stranger? So, you know, one obvious thing is like if you, you know, came to me and said, hey, I got this great thing or whatever. And, um, and the sales are good. I'm like, and I say, can I see your financials? And you say, what are financials? Yeah, oops. <laughs> oops. And, and, and that's 
That's that's actually you know more common than you think. It's an easy to solve problem. I mean, you think you can find pretty inexpensive bookkeepers to kind of help you go back and, and build some financials and put things into like Quicken or something like that. That that just kind of like shows that you you've taken some care and thought about your business. You you know where your expenses are because frankly, in diligence. You know, our diligence is relatively easy from a financial standpoint in that you see the seller central accounts, you know what the revenue is. The harder thing for us is like, well, how does it, how does that revenue match against, um, you know, the cost side of the business where, uh, you know, this wire went out to, to this supplier and then, you know, where does it tie back to the bank account and all that? that that's a, a little bit harder for us. So if you have really good financials, that makes it a much easier story to tell. That makes perfect sense. Um, as I was sitting there thinking about it, yeah, you have a third party, who uh, an impartial third party that you could tie out sales because that's one of the hardest things to tie out, right? Anybody could say their expenses are low, but you could do that math. Yeah, the, it, the revenue is a hard one well, to prove. It doesn't even have to be an impartial third party. If you've done your homework, we're just going to check your math, and if your math is right, thumbs up. Yeah. Um, a couple of other things I would throw out there is. Uh, you know, if you haven't done it yet, um, it's really good to, you know, file a trademark. If you have a brand, it's important that you file to get into brand registry with Amazon. I mean, just stuff like that makes a big difference. Do you guys have a checklist or anything like a guide, uh, white paper, anything that you have that would help people? I mean, have, have you thought about that? I do. Okay. And so is that something I, somebody can send to you? You know, we, we have thought, um, long and hard about whether or not to kind of like just publish that. Okay. Um, that said, our current checklist does have some proprietary information. Okay, in it. so it's your secret sauce. So, but, but if they fill out that questionnaire and, and there's interest on both parties' part, that's where that stuff can help. Okay, that, yeah. that's, that's fair. I, I, that's fair. I don't want you to, to give away. All right, Richard, man, I'm telling you, it just blew my mind. It's so cool. It, it's, it, I've done a lot of interviews with software companies, and I, I say to them, well, how did you find it about FBA? They go like, well, no, that's where the market is right now. We'll, we'll be on to something else eventually, but right now, Amazon FBA is everything. And I'm like, wow. And so it's pretty cool to see the uh, investment world moving over this way now, too. Really interesting. Well, I, I, I mean, you know, when I saw it, um, I had a, I had two interests, um, but the first interest, well, you know, second interest, I'll go to the second one. Second interest was like, wow, what a great business opportunity that this is. The first interest though was my mind was just blown away by how many mom and pops yeah. and solo printers were changing their lives. Uh, I, I mean, I thought that this is the, the biggest, uh, gold rush is the wrong yeah. word. This no, it's right. Biggest opportunity for mom and pop entrepreneurs that I've ever seen and that I could think of in, in mankind's history. So I think it's absolutely uh, just an unbelievable social uh, sociological story that uh, continues to just blow my mind. And the fact that there's a business opportunity and a massive one behind it is really cool. Love it. All right. Well, hey, thank you so much. I wish you nothing but success. Thank you so much. Thank you, Stephen. Dude is smart. Very, very cool. Uh, another old guy in the e-commerce world. That breadth of experience, though, you can hear it. And I mean, it's funny, in our pre-call, we were talking about, you know, he knew where Harrisburg was because he, uh, bodybuilding.com had a, a warehouse here. Everybody has a warehouse here in uh, Pennsylvania. But it's just so cool. He knew what he was talking about. That's what I appreciate. You know, you don't, most of these guys that sit in these boardrooms or whatever, 
haven't touched anything, haven't done anything, and this guy knows what he's talking about. That's what I really appreciate, and he has a passion for it, and I think it's very cool. I mean, don't get me wrong. This is a business decision. This is a financial decision. These guys are going to look to make the right business decision, but why can't you be rewarded for having a well-run business by doing the things right, by staying within the terms of service, having good financial statements, building good practices? Why can't you be rewarded? Well, Richard would tell you, you can, and that's a good opportunity. So 101-commerce.com, and I'll have the links in the episode. Man, I thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for listening to the e-commerce momentum podcast. All the links mentioned today can be found at ecommercemomentum.com under this episode number. Please remember to subscribe and like us on iTunes.